You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Blue Chips, which came out in 1994 and was directed by William Friedkin. We don't buy athletes. All the other schools are doing it, coach. We owe them this money. I figure about 30 grand. I'd like to have it in cash. Did you cheat? He bought him, Charlie. I know he bought him. Did you take money? We owe it to him! Nick Nolte and Shaquille O'Neal. Blue Chips, rated PG-13. It stars Nick Nolte, Mary McDonnell, Shaquille O'Neal, J.T. Walsh, Ed O'Neill, no relation, Alfred Woodard, Bob Cousy, Matt Nover, and Penny Hardaway. The genre would be basketball drama. I personally consider Blue Chips to be one of the better sports films of the 1990s. However, it rarely gets talked about because it had the misfortune of coming out the same year as Hoop Dreams, which remains a seminal film about amateur basketball. Compared to the authenticity and the acclaim of Hoop Dreams, which, to be fair, was a documentary, this film just never really had a chance. I thought, those were, I thought that those were sort of cornball movie situations. Uh, you so. and I saw a picture called Hoop Dreams that of we course, reviewed yes, yeah. that is so much more sophisticated, so much more real in the playing. This seems so broad well, Gene, and phony. I agree with you about Hoop Dreams, but at the same time, I think you're comparing apples and oranges. Yeah, there. a good movie and a bad movie. It's also a very atypical film for director William Friedkin, who, given this subject matter, might have been more suited to direct much harsher, grittier, R-rated version of the same movie. His filmography before this was mainly highlighted with darker genre films, including The French Connection, The Exorcist, To Live and Die in L.A. However, he presents this world to us in an uncharacteristically brighter fashion, at least for him, considering his previous films. What helps is that you have an assortment of solid performances from several active and retired pro players at the time to lend it a more authentic feel. And Shaq, of course, they all do well with what they're given. Why'd you score 520 on your SATs? Because I wanted to. That makes a lot of sense, Neo. When I was young, my hood was so dangerous, I joined the army and we evaded the Persian Gulf for vacation to make them home sense. Also helping the film really work is the screenplay by sports movie legend Ron Shelton, who also wrote White Men Can't Jump. Recent episode, check that out. It's very straightforward, funny, and sharp. Characters with limited screen time are given just the right number of notes to play for you to understand where they are coming from. And at the center of all of it is Nolte. I love Nick Nolte in this movie. He just seemed born to play a West Coast version of Bobby Knight. His character happens to be named Pete Bell. It seems like he spends much of his runtime either yelling or loudly whispering. Christ, I just want to go home and cry when I watch us play. Don't you boys understand? Don't you know how bad I want to see this team play? I want to see this team play so fucking bad I can taste it. Honest to Christ, you boys, the only joy I have right now is I don't have to watch you guys play two more games. God damn it! Coach Pete has been managing the Division I basketball program at the fictional Western University for several years and has built up a winning tradition over that time. But lately, 
his teams have not been competing as well. And the movie opens as they have just finished their first losing season with him as head coach. Pete is feeling increasingly insecure about not only his legacy as a premier college basketball coach, but his overall job security as well. It starts to dawn on him that the time has come to ramp up recruitment efforts, which could involve making some backroom deals involving kickbacks to some players and their families. I need players. I need horses. You got horses. What you need are thoroughbreds. Well, everybody in the country is buying these kids out of high school, giving them cars, money under the table. God knows what. There's two reasons I'm incapable of cheating. You want to hear them? Tell me. One, if I break the rules and I get caught, I'll get kicked out of coaching. And what's the second reason? I might not get caught. And besides that, he's now being offered opportunities to do this through his school's sketchy alumni program, otherwise known as the, quote, Friends of the Program, led by Happy, played by the late, great J.T. Walsh. I love J.T. Walsh, and I miss J.T. Walsh. Walsh plays this wealthy slob with just maniacal glee as he keeps prodding the coach to finally dive into the sleazy world of under-the-table deals for non-professional athletes. My money is untraceable. It's been washed, scrubbed, laundered within an inch of its life. You got a future in politics, asshole. Why don't you run for office? These athletes generate millions of dollars for the university. What do they get? Nothing. What do you get? You get a multi-year contract. You get a six-figure shoe deal so your team can be a walking billboard. And that is all legal. And then you get another six figures for that lousy TV show. Get out of my face. We owe them this money. We owe it to them! And what's most interesting about Blue Chips is that its narrative is primarily focused on the offseason, which include Pete's recruitment efforts, the compromises he feels the need to make, and the eventual consequences of those compromises. It's actually a very moralistic story, but told very entertainingly, all leading to what I find to be a very rousing climax, which is not actually focused on a game, but the press conference afterwards, which we'll get to a bit later. Having now seen this movie so many times, I find it eminently rewatchable but it's far from a perfect film. This movie just feels like it should have been R-rated. Despite several broadly entertaining performances, so much of what we're seeing on screen regarding college sports, it's adult enough that it feels restrained at times just to earn that PG-13 rating. I mean, you have actors like Nolte and Walsh just going for it. And with a previously fearless director like Friedkin behind the camera, this could have been a true no-holds-barred basketball drama. But beyond that, there's also a closing montage which ends the movie on a genuinely silly and pat note, reassuring us that every major character is going to be okay, and that these kids that we've been watching the whole time, they're still going to the NBA, no worries. Whatever, it's still a fun movie. And on a side note, the theatrical poster for this was one of the best of that era, even though it does oversell Shaq just a bit. And that brings me to the categories. The first category is the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. The soundtrack for this film is filled with blues covers and classic rockers from the likes of Creedence Clearwater Revival, Al Green, John Mellencamp, and even the Jimi Hendrix experience. But for me, the highlight comes from the late great blues legend, John Lee Hooker. About halfway through Blue Chips, we hear his cover of the 1959 Motown classic, Money, That's What I Want, that's what it was called then, over a key montage 
of Happy's Friends of the Program, now distributing under-the-table payments to Western University's three big new recruits. We see one player's father receive a tractor that he really wanted. We see Shaq's Neon receive a Lexus that he didn't even ask for. And we even see another player's family, mother included, being moved to a nice house in the suburbs, all thanks to the Friends of the Program. It's a montage meant to elicit a mixed response, as we can't help but be happy for some of these folks, especially Alfrey Woodard's Lavada, who, thanks to her son Butch being recruited to WU, is now proud to see her daughters now living in a safer area, even able to play outside in their front yard. And all the while, we see Coach Pete standing alone with a grim, pained expression on his face at his home. He's now agonizing over the Pandora's box, which he is now allowed to be opened. John Lee Hooker's blues version of this perennial pop standard is called I Need Some Money. A little different, but same song. And with his rambling vocals and the song's gradual pace, it's the perfect sound to accompany what we're watching on screen. It sounds both cynical and desperate at the same time, which is likely an accurate description of the mindset of these characters. The best thing in our life is free, but you can give it to the birds and bees. I need some money. Need some money, oh yeah, what I want. Your love give me such a thrill, but your love don't pay my bills. I need money, need some money, oh yeah, what I want. I need some money, honey. I need some money right away. I need some money so bad. The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Blue Chips is just loaded with not only cameos from famous athletes, but also with barely extended cameos slash supporting parts from some genuinely strong actors. And seriously, I just wanted more from several of them. And that includes Silk Cozart, who steals his one scene as Slick, the promoter who drags Nolte's coach Pete through the swamps of Algiers, Louisiana to get his first crack at seeing Shaq's Neon Boudreaux, who has been making waves on the amateur circuit. He ain't just big, Pete. He's quick. He's got big hands. Watch how he moves away from the ball. He's totally raw. He's never been coached. Jesus Christ. I'm not gonna bullshit you, Pete. He ain't no brain surgeon, all right? Took the SAT recently, scored 520 out of a possible 1600. 520? You get 400 for just spelling your name correctly. That's it. Messed up on his name. And then as we follow Coach Pete on his recruitment tour to Chicago, as he's attempting to coach Penny Hardaway's Butch McRae, solid performance from Hardaway, by the way, we get to meet two engaging characters played by Oscar caliber talent. You have one of my favorites from the 80s. Oscar winner Louis Gossett Jr., who plays the principal of McRae's Chicago High School. He has just one delightful scene where he addresses the line of top-flight college coaches, including Pete, who are also there to recruit McRae. I just simply could have used more. It's just fun to watch him. All right, gentlemen, what am I bid? Give me $50 for the strapping young boy. 17 and getting bigger every day. Dig deep in your pockets, gentlemen. They say he's a potential All-American. And he can read and write. The boy can actually read and write. He got 1,250 on his SATs. It ain't no problem either. His name ain't Abdul Rahman X or nothing like that. The boy's actual name is Butch. Now, with a name like that, he ought to have him some freckles. 
Now what am I being, gentlemen? Dig deep in your pocket. Dig deep. And finally, we have the legendary Alfre Woodard, who plays McRae's tough-as-nails mother. Just the WTF expression on her face, with cigarette half-falling out of her mouth, as Coach Pete attempts to turn her living room into a pretend half-court so that he can demonstrate a play he has developed for Butch, just simply priceless. What confounds me is that her character remains important through the third act of the movie as Butch actually starts to feel homesick for Chicago and his family, and he confronts the coach about the deal brokered with his mother. It's an effective confrontation which helps bring the main theme of the movie front and center, but we don't actually get to see her part of this sequence, which seems critical since Butch feels beholden to her. I just could have used at least one more scene with Woodard confronting Pete and or Butch about the situation, so it's just a slight waste of talent. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now about that final press conference sequence. It's a barn burner. It almost feels like an obligatory Oscar clip, including all of the cliched theatrical notes involving our lead protagonist yelling, whispering, and almost breaking down towards the end. And yet Nolte just makes it work regardless. It just feels so satisfying to watch Pete Bell not only publicly call out happy, but also to own up to his own behavior. It's honestly one of the best sports monologues I can recall, which is actually not an inspiring speech to the team before the climactic game. This is something different, but no less dramatic. And I honestly could have just watched 20 more minutes of it. But some of the others did, didn't they, Happy? Weren't there some of the other kids? What'd we give them? What, cars? Tractors? Give a kid a tractor? Another kid would give a house? Didn't we give him a house? You know, bags of cash. I don't know what we gave these kids. You know, they asked for things. We gave it to them. I mean, you guys asked me to win, and I gave that to you. Right? The alumni are all jerking off over this win, which is the only time the alumni ever jerk off, right? Is when we win. Because this ain't about education. It ain't much about winning, and it sure as hell ain't much about basketball. It's about money. Just goddamn money. And now the final category. And that would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. In the early 90s, Nick Nolte was in his early 50s and at the peak of his stardom. He even received the special honor, and is a special honor, of being anointed People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive in March of 1992. No joke. And from the late 80s on, he was on a pretty strong run of good performances in genuinely good movies. Among them, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, Q&A, Previous episode, Cape Fear, check that out, by the way, and The Prince of Tides, which he even received an Oscar nomination for. So by the time we got to 1994, it was now paycheck time for Nolte. In 1994, he had three big star turns in three big budget movies. Blue Chips, I'll Do Anything, and I Love Trouble, which he co-starred in with Julia Roberts. Big, big deal at the time. 94 was going to be his breakout year as there were hopes that he would be, become one of Hollywood's premier leading men. Unfortunately, critics and audiences just didn't see it that way. I'll Do Anything and I Love Trouble were both notorious flops, with very troubled productions behind them. In fact, I'll Do Anything was that rare instance, I remember this very much because I saw the trailer for both the musical version and the non-musical version. I'll Do Anything was that rare instance of a full-on Hollywood musical, which was actually re-edited by its studio after production completed, removing all of the musical numbers. Because apparently the studio got spooked into believing that audiences were just not ready to see a live-action musical, especially one starring Nolte. Yep, the early 90s were just a dark time for live-action musicals. Remember Newsies? Or maybe not. 
Of these three big films, Blue Chips was the only one to even come close to making its budget back. And with that, it was also the only one of these three films to feature a starring role that really played to Nolte's strengths. If you saw his earlier breakout roles in movies like North Dallas 40 or 48 Hours, with his gruff demeanor and imposing frame, you could always tell the dude was just born to play a big-time coach. And that's what carries this movie. He's got the loud brashness on the court that you would expect, balanced with the raspy soulfulness which we see in those quieter moments. Pete Bell is someone who's charismatic and easy to root for, yet his flaws seep through. It's a genuinely great performance, and I personally consider it one of Nolte's best. As mentioned previously, this film was heavily marketed as a Nolte and Shaq vehicle, which you could see on that now iconic poster. But at the end of the day, this was still Nolte's movie, and for that reason, he's the MVP. Here they're looking for wimps like you! Wonders! No, you can't, damn it! Get your hands off me! I can walk! Loser! You lost three years in a row! Give me everything you wanted! Bill's happy, heading for the cash machine! Oh yeah, he's gonna get himself a middle linebacker! That guy's got the best player's money can buy! The best player's money can buy! My rating for blue chips would be four stars out of five. Whether you love watching basketball or not, this is just a fun, engaging movie with a great star turn at its center. And it's currently streaming on Hulu and Paramount+. And that ends another point-shaving review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.